0: Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm John, and welcome to our second episode of the Lifted Inspiration podcast, where we're hoping that we can be a a beacon if you're going through a rough time. If you missed our first episode, I introduced my family and some of the incredible complications we had uh, on the birth of our second daughter, Alexis. After she was uh, tested, we discovered that she had a terminal genetic disorder called eye cell disease, or mucolipidosis 2. I talked about all the craziness that ensued following her birth and, and some of the declarations that Lauren and I made as a family. The first being was that we would still on our guard despite our circumstance. And the second was that we were going to try to give Alexis the most normal life possible. The uh, couple years after Allie, as we like to call her, uh, birth were uneventful. We had a couple of trips to the hospital for pneumonia, but for the most part, things were, were pretty smooth. We held true to our declaration. We Took Juliana and Alexis on their first trip to Disney World. At the time, it was probably pretty irresponsible because we were so poor, um, but we did it anyway, and it, it was it was a great trip. We made some pretty cool memories too. Um, one of the things that's really kind of a, a big deal or a strong memory in our family is Aladdin's Magic Carpet Ride, and it, um, it was the first ride the girls ever did on their first trip. So, and uh, I won't forget. Allie was little; she was like two. But I remember Alexis smiling and doing her little grunt and laughing. And on future visits, we always made it a point to go on that ride. And she uh, she loved it. Not long after our trip um, or during our trip, I cannot remember if Lauren was pregnant on the trip or pregnant after we got back. I can't when we found out. I can't remember. Uh, but we found out Lauren was pregnant. And I'd love to say that it was a happy event, but it was meant it was met with a lot of fear. We really did not want the shock and awe experience to, that we talked about in episode one um, during Alexis's birth. So we decided to have some testing done when it was safe for the baby. In the lead up to the results, we had everybody praying and we believed that the baby was going to be fine. And there was all this hope and faith and rallying. And then we got the results back. Uh, the little the the baby girl uh, her test came back positive for eye cell disease, and it was it was pretty devastating i I was just numb, I remember when Lauren called me. I was on the phone I was at work. I was just just like here we go again Lauren herself was was ripe with grief and anger, and after what we dispar- experienced during. Alexis's birth, we knew that there was no guarantee that the baby named Taylor would survive childbirth. But as we come to find out with Taylor, uh, she has plans of her own and does them. Uh, I remember Lauren saying very subtly to me, John, I think we need to go to the hospital. So I called the doctors and let them know we were coming. You know, like we said, after that whole experience with Alexis, we coordinated with the hospital to prepare for the worst. Yeah, we had like a whole team of doctors. Um, we got to the hospital. Everything was pretty, pretty casual, pretty normal. Um, and I remember Lauren went to sleep, and I fell asleep in the hospital room, you know, with her. And uh, I remember like Lauren waking up, being like, "I think I'm, I think I'm ready." And like twelve hours after being at the hospital, Taylor, <laughs> she just like popped out. Um, and I swear she just smiled when she slid out, like. Pfft. Um, I remember things got a little wild in there. The nurse was like, don't push, and ran out of the room to uh, page the emergency team that they had kind of assembled. And uh, the nurse comes back in, and she actually delivered Taylor by herself, um, just the three of us in the room. And I remember the surgeon just tearing into the room, out of breath, uh, hands on his knees, gasping. He's like, Is she okay? Is everything okay? <sighs> And he looked up, he saw everybody was happy, and everything was calm, and he was smiled, and he was like, man, this is great. He examined Taylor, and he's like, I'm just, you know, going to give you guys some space. And, uh, you know, it really seemed like we had dodged a bullet, until we didn't. Um, <laughs> as weeks went on, as Taylor, and Taylor came home, um, we noticed that she wasn't eating right, and her heartbeat was funny, and she would throw up, and... It was it was just something wasn't right. She wasn't putting on weight, and she didn't look healthy, and um, she needed a feeding tube. Which, by the way, wasn't anything that we weren't familiar with already. You know, when Alexis came home uh, from the hospital, she needed a feeding tube into her. It's called G tube uh, into her stomach. We you know insert through the nose. It was like well, we kind of brag like that was our first like medical procedure that we ever learned. If it's called a procedure, I don't know. Um, that was like the first thing we learned um, at our long education in dealing with medical issues with our children. Um, so with Taylor, you know, like it, it wasn't a big deal to us. She did need a feeding pump. Uh, we ended up discovering, and I, I believe it's called, and I should have looked this up before I started, uh, Taylor had a condition called VSD, which is she had like a hole in her heart, which many kids have. It's pretty common. Um, and usually kids grow out of it. However, Taylor's really started to affect her health. And I'd also like to point out the irony of a kid with a storage disorder would have a condition like, a hole in their heart and so you know we found out she was going to need like open heart surgery just a few short months into her life the day of the surgery became one of the longest days of my life and there was like other complications that went around with it too i think like I'm pretty sure our car broke down on our way to the hospital to stay the night at children at the Ronald McDonald house. I mean, it was just like this whole mess. It just I remember we had to take a cab to the hospital with Taylor, and it was just nuts. And I remember the surgeon just seeing like the look of dread on my face, and he just said, look, if it can be done, it can be done here, which is great. And all I could think of was, what if it can't be done There was a nurse that was assigned to give us updates and, like, a minute-by-minute rundown of how long the procedure was going to last. And this was the nurse that would come out and update us as the surgery progressed and everything was, like, kind of timed. And so we went into this kind of nice waiting room on the cardiac floor. And uh, initially, the, the updates came, like, on the regular schedule. However, I started looking at the clock, and I noticed that there weren't any more updates coming in. And we hadn't seen the nurse in a while. And I, I don't remember how long the surgery was, we were told it was supposed to last, but I remember we had passed, we had well past the time they had told us that the surgery was going to go on for. And I'm looking at Lauren and I'm like, what is going on? And I'm trying to stay calm. And I'm like, Something, something's not right. So eventually the nurse comes in and says that there were some complications, everything's okay, and that we'd be able to see Taylor soon. And the nurse was like, you know, they'll come out and they'll tell you, you know, like what happened. So shortly after the nurse comes out, the anesthesiologist comes out and actually requested our permission to write a paper. Uh, due to a Taylor storage disorder, they had some serious problems with their airway, and apparently, she said she had to construct some things to keep her intubated. Um, and it was after that, and we talking to the surgeon, Lauren and I made a decision that just we we're not going to have any more surgeries unless it was like life saving. Um, and we'll talk more about that decision probably like in another episode. Um, right now I'm just going to kind of focus on the story. But, um, you know, there was there was other reasons why we made that decision. Uh, I took the first shift. I took the first shift that night after surgery. Um, I was in this room with Taylor who had these like leads coming out of her chest that were like literally there as jump starters in case her heart stopped. And there was a uh, intensive care nurse that stood right at the foot of the bed at all times. And um, I remember him saying to me, "Look, you need to get some rest. It's been a long day. I will wake you up if anything happens." Because I I just remember I would like fall asleep, I would sit up, I would walk, and I would just do the same thing for hours. And he's like, "You need you need to rest in case something happens." So, uh, was we weren't out of the woods yet. However, right on time. as is when they scheduled her to, uh, Taylor did open her eyes, and she was high as a kite on pain meds. She kid actually smiled. It was hilarious. You know, and I, I'd love to tell you that uh, I was a rock during that whole time, but I wasn't. I was, I was more like a fake rock. How I handled Taylor's birth and her surgery was baby steps to a very unhealthy life. I mean, I may have looked like a rock, and I remember people were telling me I was a rock, and they're like, oh, John, you're so strong. You're standing with your family. But by this point, I had three kids. Two were terminally ill, and, and my wife was a wreck. And I'm pretty sure the first few years of Alexis's life, Lauren didn't sleep until we were finally able to get some nursing care for overnight. Because when, when, when Allie would get sick, even, even when she was really young, I mean, it was always like her pulse ox would go off and Lauren would get up and she'd turn on the oxygen condenser or turn the oxygen tubes on and I'm sorry, the oxygen tanks on or something or, you know, she would have to watch her and Allie was already on like a CPAP machine and it was just really, it was really complicated. And so, you know, those first two years, Lauren didn't sleep, you know, and then with Taylor, we had added complications with the aftercare. Um, the only good thing was, was was that really was able to secure us some good you know, nursing so that like, we actually got some, some rest. Um, but the pressure was rising, and I was trying to be a rock, and my misconception of that was not show emotion, be quote-unquote strong for my family. And boy, was that, that was just a huge mistake. And that was going to be a slow drip. That was really going to take a toll on me as I got older. And time went on, and things got even more intense. Um, As I tried to bury all these emotions, I started to develop a really quick temper. And I would throw a fit if I didn't get my way. I mean, over like the littlest things. It was so stupid. It was so stupid. Um, I just... The chaos was so intense in my life that... I wanted to be able to control things, so I felt like I was in control. Because you just never knew what was going to happen. You know, you you could end up they they get a cold, boom, you're in the hospital, and and it just upheaves life it upheaves everything, right? The childcare, there's still Juliana. What about Alexis? Or what if Taylor's in the hospital? Or what if Taylor's like Alexis in the hospital? We got to make sure Taylor's taken care of. I mean, it was just already at 29, the pressure was just crazy, and I had already witnessed. Two of my kids go through traumatic experiences. And with the temper and the chaos came the anxiety. And it just started to whittle me down. And it was was like a whittle down. And I started to escape into things like porn and self-pleasure because I just wanted to alleviate stress. And I just wanted to escape. And I wanted to control. I wanted to look, again, quote, strong for everyone and take care of my family. I felt that sharing my emotions was a weakness. So I just pushed it down, pretended like everything was fine. And I also had this really unhealthy misconception. And it really warped my thinking for for years. You know, I thought the girl's condition was my cross to bear. I believed that this was like my burden. I just needed to strap it on my back and start walking. Like I believed in Jesus and I believed in God and I still do and I just had this warped thinking that I should just be happy, you know, being part of the club and suck up what's going on, just suck it up and, and drive on. And, you know, to be, to be true, to, to, to be honest, I don't think I even told God that I, like, I just didn't feel like God cared. You know, like, why would he, right? I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see, despite growing up in church, I didn't really see God as a uh, close friend. I just saw him as this kind of like, large being that, that cares, quote unquote cares, but you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't get involved in the day to day things. And it's just like, Hey, look like you're, you're in this life and you've got to deal with it. You know? And like I said, I was just, I was just, I was just happy to be part of the club. You know, I'm in the club. Hey, okay. All right. I got to deal with this. Um, but I was lying to myself. And really what I was doing was taking all the trauma and the dysfunction and just stuffing it. Because I didn't want to deal with it. I mean, those initial years, and even later on, they were like a a roller coaster where you really thought you were going to die. Like, not fake thought you were going to die. You were strapped in, but you still thought you were going to die. So there was like a little security, but not much. And you just never knew it was going to happen. And you never knew, I mean, this I still struggle with this. You never knew when the next shoe was going to drop. And like a dummy, I, I kept it all in. I slowly stopped telling my wife how I felt, which led to me not telling my friends how I felt, which led to me stop telling God how I felt. And all of this manifested into this like cesspool of anxiety and anger. And, you know, I think I left another person out. I stopped talking to myself about it. I just pretended like, hey, like it's whatever. It was was almost like a perpetual state of crisis. And if there was no crisis, I would put myself in a perpetual state of crisis because I was so used to it. You know, looking back, I wish I told my wife how I felt. And I wish I confessed to God how I felt. It would have saved me a lot of agony and money later on in life. I was young and and stupid and thinking I could take care of it on my own because this was like my burden to bear. But that was a really big lie that I was telling myself. And it wasn't true. I should have told people how I felt, should have told God how I felt and and worked through those emotions, but I I didn't, I didn't want to deal with it. It was, it was, it was painful. I don't want to deal with pain. Um, you know, I think maybe the one, if I look back and I said like, what was one good thing that I did was I, you know, I did keep going to church. I kept the kids in church, you know, I kept praying for them. And look, there were like a lot of struggles. I mean, we I mean it was a constant battle dealing with medical insurance and Medicaid, which is still a constant battle and will probably always be a constant battle. And uh, you know, I remember at one point we owed like thousands of dollars because Taylor's Medicaid didn't didn't kick in and you know, they weren't retro paying it, and you know, luckily like all of a sudden like, like just money just showed up. It was kind of crazy. Um things like that happened all the time. And and look, like we, we deal blessed. But in the background, there was a drip, 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 and it was, it was, it was really starting to, to shape some some very big, uh, uncomfortable moments in my life that I was going to have to kind of deal with. And I'm I'm going to stop there. It was pretty heavy. Um, if you're having a hard time, I would really just want to say, please talk to someone. If you don't want to talk to someone, talk to God. You, you might be surprised. He might answer you back. You know, I'm not a therapist. I'm, I'm just speaking about my own personal journey. And I just really wished in those early years that I was honest with others and vulnerable with others because it would have saved me a lot of agony and pain. In the future, not that I wasn't still going to experience pain, you know, when I had the kids, but I would have handled it so much better. I just really had this warped sense of what being quote unquote strong meant, and I had this warped sense of of, of who I believe God is. I just I, I had this warped sense, and what I've come to learn, you know, what we experienced in those few years was really nothing. Uh, compared to what what ended up happening next, and those unhealthy behaviors that I would started to develop really started to take on a life of their own, uh, because very soon we were about to have our first brush with death. And so we're gonna we're gonna kind of cut it off there. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for dealing with me learning how to do this podcast I've never done one before, like this, and by myself sitting here staring at a monitor. And I don't speak well. And um, I know you hear all kinds of weird background noises. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. Um, but just, uh, this is just, listen, this podcast is just me sharing my experience. It's not medical advice. If you need some professional help, please go see a professional person. Uh, I am not a professional. Trust me. Um, but I hope you found some value in this. And look, please subscribe to our Substack. stack. Uh, join the group. Uh, we're going to be doing some more things soon. And just thank you for bearing with me. Thanks for for listening. And I'm going to try to get these ones up in the next seven, another one up in about seven to 10 days. And I just hope you all have a blessed week. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks.